2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.22, who committed no sin. 1 John 3.5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. I read them all on purpose. He was sinless. That certainly is what part of what is meant when Jesus says, I fulfill the law. I lived it all perfectly. But there's more. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of his sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. A couple months it does that. I will try not to move. That's going to be the hard part. All right, here we go. Way too, ooh, here it is. Way too important. Obviously, every bit of scripture is, but we really need to set some groundwork here. So what does it mean now to, to kind of bring everything back here? What does it mean when Jesus says, I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill? There's the question. And it's a broad one. I'm going to do my best this morning to give you four statements that I think encompass what he means when he says that. Now, oftentimes we take a word and the word here is fulfill. The word itself, again, means to make full, to satisfy, to complete, to finish. And usually in hermeneutics, you're looking for the one specific range of meaning that you want for that word in this context. Right? And we're still doing that. But because Jesus is speaking so broadly, because he is speaking of his own work, his own words, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection, as well as all of the law, as well as the prophets, that is the entire Old Testament, I think we are validated to broaden the meaning of this word to cover most of its meanings. That is, there will be an, er there will be an element of fulfillment, there will be an element of completion, there will be an element of addition at some levels because of the nature of what Jesus is saying here. And we're going to do our best to wrap our minds around it, and we'll just get this started. For the rest of the book of Matthew, we'll be working on it. I mean, there are thousands of books written on what it means to fulfill the law, law and gospel, grace, all of those things. Many of them good. All right, but Jesus gives us the, the fundamental groundwork for it here. So I would say it means that at least these four things, if not more. A, Jesus' life and ministry fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament or laid the groundwork for their fulfillment. So the first way in which fulfilled is being used here is that he actually fulfilled prophecies. Remember, he says law and prophets, really law or prophets. Now, he doesn't mention the prophets again, but it's bound up in what he already said. And most of the time in the book of Matthew, when Jesus uses the word fulfill, or when Matthew uses it, it's for the fulfillment of prophecy. Right? For example, in Matthew 2.7, that which had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled it. Luke 4.21, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled. Notice, scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. So I think it has to bear that weight at least as it relates to prophecy particularly. He fulfilled all the prophecies. I think Acts 3.18 kind of binds all this up. Luke again, 
He says, but the things which God announced before, and this is Peter speaking, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Now, there were more prophecies to be fulfilled, but everything that was supposed to be fulfilled up to that point, Jesus accomplished. So that's the first meaning when Jesus says, I fulfill the law and the prophets, or or the prophets, both of these. Now, there's another area, though, that I think you have to include here, because remember, it's law and prophets, both of those put together, right? Either one of them, law or Jesus' life, the second statement, Jesus' life and ministry perfectly conformed to the proper interpretation of Old Testament commands and principles. All those words are important. Jesus' life and ministry perfectly conformed to the proper interpretation of Old Testament commands and principles. What am I saying there? Jesus lived a perfect life, and he lived a perfect life according to the principles of what? The Old Testament. He never violated one of them, ever, external or internal. He kept them all perfectly according to their proper interpretation. And this is where he battles with the Pharisees on things like the Sabbath. You misunderstand understand the Sabbath. And remember, that proper interpretation had to do with Jesus' own life, work, and ministry. That's in my next two statements. You see how this gets a little complex? But nonetheless, it doesn't include less than, always more than, the fact that when Jesus says, I fulfill the law, I kept it. But see, some stop this. See, that's all it means. He kept it. There's much more than that. It's, it's, it has to be more than that. Otherwise, it's not going to get us where we need to go. When we get to Hebrews trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with certain things that don't happen, we're going to be in trouble there. He did more than just live the law himself, but he did that. Let's not forget it. What does the scripture say? John 8, 46. Which of you convicts me of sin? By implication, no one. Right? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? Sin is any transgression of what? If you in our catechism class on Wednesday nights, sin is any transgression of the law of God. Jesus never transgressed one. Amazing. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.22, who committed no sin. 1 John 3.5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. I read them all on purpose. He was sinless. That certainly is what part of what is meant when Jesus says, I fulfill the law. I lived it all perfectly. But there's more. Third implication. Jesus' life and ministry bring a proper understanding of the Old Testament commands and principles and how they're to be lived out under the new covenant. Very important. Jesus' work and his teaching that he will both press forward in giving in this very same sermon. He's about to go after interpretations of the law, by the way. And our next things that we will talk about, you know, the law says this, or you say the law says it this way. I say, proper interpretation of the law, that this is what's really going on. His teaching, his life and ministry enable us to understand how it is that we're actually fulfilling Old Testament commands when we don't even do some of them. Did did you hear that paradox? We don't even do some of them. How is it that we're actually fulfilling them? Jesus' life, work, ministry, and teaching explain that to us and enable us to do that properly. Okay? Very, very important. For example, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, He's not going to undo the Old Testament. He's going to give the proper interpretation that it always meant in the Old Testament as well that the scribes forgot or refused to believe. Because you see, they lusted after women in their heart all the time. They knew that. And so they had to make it external. As long as I don't commit the physical act, I'm okay. Jesus said, uh-uh, 
you don't get away with that one. That's not a proper understanding of the law. Let me tell you how this works. And by the way, let me tell you that you have to do it. You don't get a pass on this one because it's moved internal and, and adultery is even lusting with your eyes. It's not that, oh, well, no one can do that, so we won't do it. No, you have to do that too. Whoa. All right, you begin to see how this flies in the face of what the scribes and Pharisees thought. And Jesus is not undoing the law. He actually strengthens it in many places. And then, well, not from its original intent, but what they thought. And then he carries us forward in how we do it. Huge that we understand this. Craig Blomberg, again, wrote a, he wrote a good commentary on, on Matthew. I, I think he says this well. He says it like this. It's inadequate to say either that none of the Old Testament applies unless it is explicitly reaffirmed in the New, or that all of the Old Testament applies unless it is explicitly revoked in the New. Rather, all of the Old Testament remains normative and relevant for Jesus' followers, but none of it can be rightly interpreted until one understands how it has been fulfilled in Christ. That's your key. What did Christ say? What did he do? What did his work accomplish? That enables you to know how you take Old Testament principles and bring them to the New Covenant. Vital. All right, fourth implication is that Jesus' life and ministry bring a proper fulfillment of the Mosaic Covenant so that we can live under the New. This is also very important. Not only his teaching, his example, and, and how he stated we need to do this, but the very fact of his death, burial, and resurrection enable us to enter into the new covenant, having ended the era of the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and yet still be living according to the very reason the Mosaic covenant was set up, to bring righteousness. Christ did that by fulfilling it in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And, and I think this kind of thing, I'm going to read you four verses. They all look at a different nuance of this, and I cannot get at each one, but hopefully this will get the wheels turning as you consider Christ fulfilling righteousness and our being in him to fulfill righteousness that relates to the law. Romans 13, eight. Well, I'll read that one last. Romans 3.31. Do we nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. See, one of the reasons for the law was to enable us to see our inability to meet it. Not that it wasn't there for righteousness, but we couldn't do it. So by faith, we don't invalidate it. We trust in the Lord, and then he enables us to actually do it. That's one nuance. Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now that Christ has come, even the obedience to the law, which was necessary in the Old Testament, because it was looking forward to what Christ would do on the basis of belief in God, that kind of obedience is now subsumed into Christ. We trust in him, we believe in him, and then we're doing what the Old Testament commands had for us. Romans 8, 4, fascinating passage. Paul says, so that the requirement of the law, speaking of the Spirit, to come and live inside of us, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled. There's the word, by the way might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's not justification. It's not the Spirit's living inside of us that brings justification. It's the righteousness of Christ granted to our account. The Spirit living inside of us is sanctification. And he's saying, "We, I give you the Spirit so that you can actually fulfill the very laws that were given you in the Old Testament that you couldn't do with the proper understanding of which ones remain and how we do even those. And then the last one, Romans 13, 8, I think this just kind of brings it home. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The law of love, which doesn't abrogate or do away with standards of righteousness, instead encompasses them in Christ so that the love of God shown in our hearts can actually enable us to obey the righteous standards of God's commands. All right, that's a lot. I know that. 
but we're going to be constantly working through this. And it's incredibly important so that you don't get lost going, what do I obey? What do I not obey? Do I obey the law or not? Is it really a law or not? What's the gospel? I hope this helps. I don't think it's sufficient. That is, we need to talk more. But this is the best I can do right now. His righteous fulfillment of the law as perfect man, his sacrificial atoning death as the God-man, completely fulfill the requirements of the law and the predictions of the prophets so that in Christ we are not judged by the standards of the law. We have the freedom to obey God through the law of love, which enables us to do the very standards that God called us to. Now, one final thing here that I want to, I want to make clear. Jesus coming again and obeying the law is not even, that's not the, the full standard of, his, of our receiving justification from him. His active obedience of the law while he was on earth is part of his fulfilling the law, but it's not sufficient because Jesus didn't just fulfill righteousness by living the law. Jesus was righteousness. The divine righteousness we need is more than the active obedience of Jesus in, in fulfilling the law. It is the very righteousness of God that Jesus had. And this is very important for us to understand. And that's why nearly everywhere in the New Testament, the righteousness of God or righteousness that is imputed to us is called what? The righteousness of God. Jesus, fully God, who did, in fact, as man, fully live the law. All of that fulfills truly the law of God. And really only Jesus can do that. John MacArthur says, most importantly, as the Spirit surely intends to emphasize, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by being its fulfillment. He did not simply teach it fully or exemplify it fully. He was it fully. He did not come simply to teach righteousness and model it. He came as divine righteousness. What he said and what he did reflected who he is. He is the fulfillment of the law. For that reason, then number three on your outline, the law and the prophets cannot be abolished. This couldn't be any more strong then. And if Jesus came to fulfill it, then if you do away with any of it, you are saying that the work of Christ is insufficient. Or you're saying the work of Christ is too much, too much work. We want to get rid of that. We don't want to do that one. You are assaulting the person and work of Christ if you try to remove pieces of the Old Testament. And remember, that's all of it, not just the commands and principles, that's the history involved, that's the, the science such as what the Bible teaches. It's not a science textbook, but it teaches about science. Anything that you remove from the Old Testament, remove from it being entirely true, strikes at the very work of Christ. Because he says this, I'm not making it up, this is what he says. For, a true, for truly, I say to you, you know what the word truly means, right? It really means, watch this. No, it doesn't actually mean that, but it means, uh, agree with me, this is weighty. Verily, verily, in the King James, if you're used to that. It's usually Luke that, or I think John that uses it twice. Matthew uses it once, but it's enough. He goes, look, I am worthy of this thing I'm about to say. You need to listen to me because I'm God. That's essentially what that means. So he says this, truly, I say to you. It isn't that everything he said wasn't true, right? He's just saying, here's one that's going to be hard probably. And also by implication, here is a command that probably everybody's going to disagree with. That's the implication here. Are there a few of those in our society today? Well, more and more, everything in the Bible is what? It's got, you got to say truly because nobody wants to believe any of it. Everything's weighty because no one wants to do any of it. Jesus was picking the ones, as it were, when he says truly, it was like, okay, now let's see what he's going to say because this is going to go against what we think. And it did. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law. Really, smallest letter or stroke speaks of the smallest letter in Hebrew, and then the stroke is the little tick on the end of it. 
a lot like our eye and then the dot on top of it, but probably smaller. It would have been even more uh, amazing to them to consider how small that letter was and just a little stroke that you probably wouldn't ever see if you looked at Hebrew. You'd never even see the little stroke unless you were an expert. Because all the way down to that kind of detail, the law of God cannot be abolished. And remember, law and prophets, everything in the Old Testament, none of it can be abolished down to the finest, most minute details, down to verb tenses, down to plurals and singulars. Everything matters and everything is true. I ask you, is that how you consider the Word of God? Is it that strong to you? And if so, are you living your life according to it with that kind of strength? Now, probably more encouraging because we're all thinking, oh, (laughs) not enough. How about this more encouraging? Every time you do something that the Old Testament and then as explained and, and expanded in the New, every time you do something, the Bible says, you are doing something true. You are doing something eternal. You are doing something worthwhile. That's the beauty. The negative side is there. We need to do it all and we don't hold it strongly enough and we need to stop doing that. But the positive side is a million times better every time you do anything in the law of God. Scriptures fully contained. You are doing something that pleases God, honors God. And we talked about motivation. We're going to say we understand that. But every time you do it, it lasts for eternity. It is actually important. And it will never fade away, just like the law itself won't. Now, I hope that will help you. Both the negative and the positive take the same view of the law Again, the entire Old Testament, and then by implication, everything Jesus would say and do in the Gospels, and then explain in the epistles, everything in the Bible, that you would take it as this strong. None of it will pass away. Notice, notice the illustration he uses. Heaven and earth, not until heaven and earth will pass away. Now, I don't think he's saying, well, when heaven and earth pass away, then the law, then the law of God is gone. He's just using that as his illustration, the most solid thing you could possibly see. If that were to blow up, okay, then the law will go. Because we know later on, what does he say? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There's not contradictions. He's just simply using the illustration of the most solid thing they had. It says the law is more solid than that. And if the whole earthly system could dissolve before your eyes right now, then I could take away one eye and one dot of the eye in the law. That's how strong this is. You guys, is it worth it, worth it to be here this morning? I mean, not just to hear this message, but to hear the Word of God all times. Is it worth it to wake up in the morning at 5 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock to read the Word of God? If it's this important, if it is this strong, if it will never pass away as long as the earth exists and then into all of eternity, that'll change your Bible reading. That'll change your devotions. I can't get out of bed, except the fact that I remember that even the littlest eye in the law of God, in the truth of the Bible, is will last forever. I think I'll do that and not hit the snooze. I think maybe when I was going to watch the movie I was going to watch, as nice and as mundane as it might, it might be, that, that Pixar thing I was going to do, today, not that I would never watch one, but today, because I realize how important this is, I'm going to spend some extra time in the Word. In fact, I'm going to design my whole schedule around doing it. Because, and I'm not going to get there this morning, because I need to be righteous. And because the only way to be righteous is to obey the law. And the law is contained in all of Scripture. And I need to know all of it because none of it is gone. Now, what did Jesus believe? I'll I'll need to dwell on this. What did Jesus believe about the Old Testament? Well, everything. By the way, uh, another verse there as it comes to the permanency of the law. It says, but the word of the Lord, this is one of my favorites, 1 Peter 1.25, 
But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. So important. We're not talking about the existential word of God in the moment. We're not talking about additional words that the Spirit of God would speak to you, which he does not do in this age, because we have all of the word of God. We're talking about the written word of God, spoken by the apostles, written by the prophets in the Old Testament, then written down by the apostles and prophets in the New that's what will last forever. That's what saves us. That's what sanctifies us. You don't need new words. You don't need impressions. You need the Word of God and the Spirit of God inside of you, illuminating it and enabling you to press forward on it. You need that more than anything else. So if you're going to go away to the mountains and have a retreat to hear God, take your Bible and read it the entire time and pray, asking then that God will give you wisdom to obey it. Don't sit and wait for a still small voice. You read the Word of God. And you pray that he would help you understand it. And then you come back off the mountain and you do it. And that will never pass away, ever, ever. It's enough for you. It's sufficient for you. It was sufficient for Jesus. It's sufficient for you. Oh, what did Jesus believe about the Old Testament? He referred to it at least 64 times, always as authoritative truth. And remember, Jesus' words are not in and of themselves more inspired than any other words. But it is pretty important what the creator of the universe thought about the very words that he wrote. So we should hear about them. And remember, he's in charge of the Spirit who wrote the Old Testament through men, right? Jesus referred to it 64 times at least, always as authoritative truth. In the course of defending his Messiahship and divinity before the unbelieving Jewish leaders in the temple, he said, the Scripture cannot be broken, right? Nothing can be changed about it. Over and over again, Jesus confirmed the accuracy and authenticity of the Old Testament. He confirmed the standard of marriage that God established in the Garden of Eden, the murder of Abel, Noah and the flood, Abraham and his faith, Sodom, Lot, Lot's wife, the call of Moses, the manna from heaven, the bronze serpent, Jonah. We could go on and on. You don't want to believe what the Bible says? Jesus did. You don't want to believe in a, in a flood that actually consumed the entire earth? Jesus did. I would suggest that you believe it. You want to believe that God created the entire earth? They created an original Adam, a true Adam, one that's actually the one that actually existed and sinned. Well, you should believe it because Jesus did. And so we believe all of those things. Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. Come on, who believes that? We do. Jesus did. Jonah in a whale, three days getting puked up out of there and then going and, and repenting. No, he didn't repent, telling the people to repent. Who would believe that? We do. Jesus did. He's the king of the world. If he got it wrong, we're fools. I mean, you understand that. If he got it wrong, if he was some petty little guy living in New, you know, New Testament times in, in Jerusalem, walking around there, just, he didn't understand the science of his day. He didn't understand the, the cultural things that were going on. So he could only operate in his, you know, his limited scientific knowledge and his inability to understand cultural tradition, and he could teach us that way. He's not the king of the universe then, and you have no reason listening to him. None. Because he wrote the rest of the Bible too. He affirms it all. We do. In everything we do. And again, I will say, why pound this home about the Old Testament? Jesus did. So I do as we start the New Testament teaching on righteousness because it does not abrogate the old. It follows it through and fills it out so that we might truly be pleasing to God as he deserves. And as I told you at the very beginning, any place and every place where we start to get the Old Testament wrong, it will impact the New Testament. It will undermine the truth of who Jesus is, and it leads to liberalism and apostasy at every time. Again, I'm not talking about anyone's interpretation of the Old Testament. Understand that. I'm talking about the proper interpretation of the Old Testament. But nonetheless, there is one, and there's not multiple, and that's the one we believe, and that's the one we base our very lives upon. Everything in the law must be accomplished. 
So Jesus says the law and the prophets cannot be abolished. Now, I'm going to leave you with, with this final thought. Ooh, wow. All right, I'll try to, I'll try to leave you with this final thought. Uh, as, as a means by which to, to take this into application a bit, because Jesus makes an application. He says, if this is true, then verse 19. He really makes two of them, but this is the first one he makes. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commands, that's back to the word abolish, similar form, same form of the word, does away with, destroys. One of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, excuse me, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus condemned those who annulled the Old Testament. He said, I came to fulfill it, not abolish it. And if you try to abolish it, then you are least in the kingdom. Very interesting here, right? Now, he goes after the scribes and Pharisees for their adding to tradition, for their lack of any kind of true righteousness. They were unbelievers. But here he seems to be, by the nature of the language, speaking to those who are believers. They're in the kingdom. He says, you're in the kingdom. But if you annul, if you try to do away with my commands, even though you already are in the kingdom, my view of you is you're least. That doesn't mean you sit in the corner once you go to heaven and God says, you're the least, and so you never get to come out. No, it's how he views you now. Why would you do this? Why, as a kingdom citizen, would you look at the words of the king and say, I'm going to annul that. I don't think we'll do that. I, I, don't, I don't think we need to be righteous like that. Well, let's change that one. No, you're the least. So who wants, who, don't raise your hands, but if I ask for a show of hands, who wants to be least in the kingdom? Then start disobeying scripture. That's most fundamental. And then tell other people, because that's what he says. If you teach or do anything which annuls that, you're least. However, on the flip side, and by the way, play on words there, right? If you annul even the least of these commandments, you are the least in the kingdom of heaven. And if you say, or if you, if you keep and teach them, you are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God views you, oh, there's a kingdom citizen who's doing what he's supposed to. He's believing and teaching the word of the king as absolutely inerrant, infallible, sufficient, and authoritative. And that's what we do. Are you doing it? Are you living it first? Are you doing it next? And are you refusing to allow the world to box you in and say, well, science has said this. You can't believe that anymore. There's nothing in science which denies the truth of the word of God. It can't because God made both. The word of God trumps science in the sense that there are things in science we will never know that the word of God tells us, how things were created, all of that sort of thing. God tells us. Science can only go, I think it happened this way. God says, I told you it happened this way. So don't believe science when they try to tell you things they don't know. Now, they tell you they know everything. I get that. But they don't know how the world was created. They don't know that there was evolution. There wasn't. So don't go, oh, I've got to believe it because the world says it. You don't. There couldn't have been a real flood. How do you know? My, my Bible says, the Bible, not mine, the Bible says it happened. I don't believe you. I believe the eternal God of the universe. Sorry. You lose. You said, you know, kids, young people going out to college. Your professor said, ah, that's a bunch of, that's a bunch of baloney. You shouldn't believe that. Sorry. Who are you? Do you know everything? Are you all powerful? Did you die for me? I'll listen to you teach me the information you have, but I will not listen to you tell me that God doesn't know what he's talking about. You're done. Guys, that's the way we feel because that's what Jesus said. Graciously, kindly, I get that, but with much force. Not as well, you know, maybe he's wrong. He's not wrong. I remember sitting with my biology professor one time, and he was the, he was the, he was the biology chair. He said, evolution is fact. Anybody that, says, anybody that says anything else is a fool. So I went to his office, knocked on the door. He said, I have, a, I, have, I have a statement that I need to make. He goes, oh, yeah, I said, I said that, that evolution was true, and you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yeah. He goes, well, you're, you know, then my, your view of God has been, has, been, you know, has been harmed by my statement. I said, no, it hasn't. 
And I believe, and I, again, this is much fear and trembling. I said, you're being intellectually dishonest. You cannot say that that's a fact. The Bible says this is true. You lied to the class, and I don't appreciate it. Now, we had a little bit of discussion after that, but not much. And I was only able to do that because, by the grace of God because I've been taught well and directed well, and I've just managed to get enough courage to go in and do that. Because we're not cowed by anyone when it comes to the truth of the Word of God. Scripture cannot be broken. And we will not annul it in the least, least bit. All right, I need to tell you one other thing because I know that some of you are still thinking, but what about like the Sabbath? What about those things we don't actually do? Let me just give you this final thought when it comes to not annulling even the least of these commandments. And again, there's no way we have time to do justice to this right now. But let's just think of it this way. We don't observe sacrifices anymore, right? Well, why not? Because Christ fulfilled them. But, but hear me carefully. What the sacrifices represented and the righteousness necessary in doing them, we still do because we trust in Christ and therefore that is necessary for our sins to be forgiven as it was necessary for them to do the sacrifices in the Old Testament. You're still obeying that truth. Christ has fulfilled it so you don't do that action. Do you see it? Maybe that will help. How about the Sabbath? Well, we don't keep the Sabbath because Christ did what? He fulfilled that. That is, we obey the Old Testament principle by resting in Christ. But you're still obeying that principle. That very work you do not do because now it would be, well, if you went back to the sacrificial system, it would be a sin for you to do that. For you to come and say, well, let me sacrifice the lamb for the salvation of my, you know, for the covering of my sin. No, you can't do that. So that's how Christ fulfills and, and, and deepens these things. And when we obey him and what he has said, then we are able to fully obey Old Testament, as it were, righteousness in a New Testament way and live according to the righteousness of God, which, by the way, if you look lastly at your text, is what Jesus means when he says, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But that's next week. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would grant us grace to believe your word as strongly as your son believed it. And what I pray that as we fight day in and day out to hold fast to the truth of your word against a world that constantly assaults it, that Lord, we would find joy in knowing that what we are obeying and what we are doing will last for eternity because your word will not pass away. And Lord, that you would embolden us and strengthen us to graciously and, and gently and kindly and yet forcefully and truthfully proclaim every bit of your word as it applies in, in our world and in, in, in our time after the coming of Christ. Or that we would do all of that in a way that pleases and honors you so that we might have the righteousness that enables us to live within your kingdom. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access 
a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.